Well, we've been looking at some of the stories in the life of David, and we've been doing that because these stories are actually incredible, helpful, and relevant to you and I and to our life today. And one of the interesting things about the Bible as we look through the stories of David is the Bible makes it pretty clear. David was far from perfect. And yet, in the Bible, he's described after a man after God's own heart. Isn't that interesting? Someone who's very sinful, you know, makes many mistakes, and yet he's a man after God, his own heart. Why? What made him stand out from others? Well, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul speaks of God's feelings about David. And he says this, Acts 13, I, referring to God, have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. In other words, here's a man who had a deep desire to follow God's will. Here's a man who who desired to do everything it is that God wanted him to do. And like David, we too are far from perfect, right? I mean, you look at the person next to you. Just have a look at him right now, right? Far from perfect, right? We know that. We get that. Well, some of you are looking at the person going, no, you're perfect. But, But the rest of us, you know, we're like, we know we're far from perfect. And that's us. But we can be like David. And we can have hearts that are turned to God, that desire to to have a deep desire to follow God's will and God's ways for our life. We can have that desire like David in the midst of people who are sinful people to do what God wants us to do. Well, sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do. And sometimes you and I find ourselves in circumstances or situations or positions where we are headed down a wrong path. And when you and I are headed down a wrong path, sometimes God will send someone or something along to help us and to even save us from ourselves. God can and does oftentimes provide for you and I a way out from the bad decisions that we are about to make in our life. Today we're looking at that type of story. And we're going to look at a story that could have ended and ruined David's life certainly could have ended and ruined his career, if not for the grace and the faith and the courage of someone who stepped in and God used to provide David a way out from the path he was headed on. So let's dive into the story together. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of actually be jumping all over. And in verse 1, it tells us there that the the death of uh, the prophet, the great prophet Samuel died. And after that, David and his men leave, you know, the, the, the Dead Sea area where we found him last week when, when Pastor Derek was talking about his story. And he leaves that area. He goes to the wilderness of Paran, which is south of Judah. Now he heads there, and this is an area where there's a lot of shepherds and, and, and landowners, and they would have their sheep and their goats. And, and what would happen is the Philistines and the Amalekites, knowing that, they would often try to come in and raid that particular area. And so the farmers would hire mercenaries to help protect their shepherds, their sheep, and their flocks. Well, one of those farmers was a wealthy guy named Nabal. And David and his men protected Nabal's shepherds and the sheep from the raids of the Philistines and the Amalekites. In fact, verses 15 and 16 of 1 Samuel 25, it tells us that the, that, that the shepherds spoke highly of David and his men. It says, these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Notice this verse, I love this. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep. 
Man, they were making sure the Amalekites and the Philistines, they're not coming in. They're not going to cause any harm. David's men were protecting Nabal and his men. In return for that protection, farmers would customarily uh, bless these, these mercenaries. They'd provide for them. They'd provide food and shelter and clothing as was needed. Well, one day, David decides to send 10 of his men to Nabal. Because there was a time when David and his men, they now needed some assistance. Look at verse 6. This is David telling his men, here's what I want you to say to Nabal, the person who is in charge of these flocks you've been protecting. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. Now this is a time when farmers would, would, you know, and it would traditionally pay those who protected their flocks. So David's been doing this and he knows, hey, this is the time the shearing's happening and so now he's going to have some cash and now maybe he can bless us. Notice the verse goes on. He, 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 he says to Nabal, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, they'll tell you. Therefore, here's what David was asking through his 10 men. Be favorable towards my men since we come at a festive time. I mean, this is a festive time, right? Payday is a festive time, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? When you're paid, you know, what's the worst time? The one or two days leading up to payday, right? You're like the money ran out. You know, you're like you're hungry. You want to eat something. The kids want to go out to eat. And you're like, no, we're broke. We got nothing. Go make yourself some beans and rice, rice and beans, right? That's it. So now it's payday time. It's festive time. And notice what it says. Be favorable towards my men since it's festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. In other words, David's saying, Nabal, you need to understand my men contributed to your success, to your prosperity. And now David's just hoping, maybe even probably expecting because that was custom, that, that Nabal would provide for them. But you do need to notice in that verse, notice verse 8, David didn't ask for a specific amount. David didn't give a, a bill of sale here, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't give him a purchase order, so to speak, right? There wasn't a purchase order that came to him. Just Nabal, all I want is that you be fair. And it was in da- Nabal's response to David's men that we discover who this guy really is. And he's one foolish farmer. Look at verse 10. Here's his response to David's man. He says, who is this David? Who's this son of Jesse? Verse 11, why should I take him here? I want you to notice this is a key word in all of this. And I want you to say it with me. Why should I take what? Why should I take? Let's do it again. Why should I take? My bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for. What's the word for? For my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where. Verse 14 even says this, that he was hurling and screaming insults at David's men. Man, this just wasn't an answer that David or David's men were expecting. So who is this naval character anyways? What's his deal? Well, verse 2 tells us he's wealthy. He's a wealthy rancher. I mean, he has property, he has 3,000 sheep, he has 1,000 goats. Verse 11 and 12 tells us he's not a gracious person. He doesn't want to share. He's not hospitable. Verse 3 tells us he's actually crude or he's surly, as, as the NIV says. He's, he's mean in the way he deals with people. So he is a, he's just a mean businessman. Verse 17 just is right to the point. It says he's a wicked person. 
By the way, his name, Nabal, his name literally translated means fool. So whenever anybody ever, uh, you know, said, hey, Nabal, they were basically doing the Mr. T thing, right? Hey, fool. Hey, fool. You know, and they're shouting, hey, fool. If you're under, what, 40, you don't know what the reference is, but <laughs> if you're older, maybe you get it. Man, the A-Team, come on, wasn't that a great show? I mean, come on, start singing the tune in your head right now. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, I, bad sidetrack. Hey, you fool. Now, what is a fool? A fool in the Bible is a little different than you and I would understand a fool. A fool is just, you know, someone who makes bad decisions or something like that. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a fool was referred to, was somebody who was referred to as a fool because they were choosing to live their life apart from God. They were choosing to live outside of a relationship with God. It meant, a fool meant that you were making decisions and choices in your life that were what you wanted to do rather than what God would have you do. It was all about that word we read in verse 11, my. It's my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. That was a fool in the Old Testament. And the Bible says it's not a good uh, you know, strategy for life. It's not a good approach to your life. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a path. Another translation says this, there's a way before each person that seems or appears right, but, in, but it ends in death. Let me ask you, in what area or areas of your life are you choosing right now to live your way rather than God's ways? Allow the Holy Spirit to just kind of work in you for a moment. What area or areas are you choosing to live your own way right now? You know what God's way is. You know what God's will is for you in that area. And you're choosing to not walk in God's way. The Bible says that might appear to be right to you. It might appear to be the right path for you to take, but the Bible says in Proverbs, that way, that path is going to lead you to destruction. God says, when you do that, he says, that's foolish. That is not a way to live. And even though David and his soldiers were a huge blessing and help to Nabal, as one who was a fool, as one who chose not to live for God, as one who instead said, I'm going to follow my way and my path and what I think of is right. Because of that, he lacked the insight to appreciate what God was doing through somebody like David. He didn't say thank you. He didn't have an attitude of gratitude. Rather, he was just completely ungrateful. He was tight-fisted. Again, verse 11, all he was talking about is my my, my, my stuff. It makes me think about 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, if anyone has the world's goods, and Nabal would be that type of person. He clearly had the world's goods. And you see your brother in need. David is in front, David's men are in front of him. They are in need. And yet you close your heart against him. John says, how does God's love abide in that person? If you see someone and you have and you close your heart to the one who is in need, God says, how is your love in, how's God's love in you? He was unwilling to open his heart and thus he was unwilling to open his hand to generosity. Now you need to understand this morning, God's great desire for you and I is to live a life of generosity, purposeful, intentional, even systematic about it. First 
or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, it instructs us, it says, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. Excel in being a generous person. And you can do that with your, with your time, you can do that with your talents, and you can do that with your treasures. And, and when it comes to your treasures, there's something we, we talked about here for years and years, and we said one of the best ways to do that, to excel in the grace of giving with your treasures, is to be, and you can do this with your time and your talent too, is that you have a plan. That you're purposeful and intentional and systematic. One of the ways we say to be generous with your resources is to have a plan. And the best way to do it is three ways. Give, save, live on the rest. Give a portion of what God gives you, your first fruits, give it away. Save some for yourself for your future. And then whatever's left, that's what you live on today. What has our society done with that give, save, live on the rest? What have we done? We've flipped it, haven't we? You say, I'm gonna, everything that comes into me, I'm living on that. If I got a little extra, I, you know, I'll put it away for my retirement. And if there's anything left, you know, okay, I'll give some away. God says, that's not generous. Live a life of generosity. You give, save, live on the rest. Have that spirit even with your time and your talent that you would give your time away. You give your talent what God's given you. Give that away first to something beyond yourself. Well, verse 12 and 13, David's 10 men come back to David to give him the report of, of what happened. David goes ballistic. I mean, he's just raging mad. And so, to, so you've had this foolish farmer, Nabal, and now you have a furious soldier in David. David tells 400 of his 600 men, I want you to strap on the sword. And the way I see it, you don't strap on your sword to go have a conversation with somebody, Right? That's not what's happening here. Man, if David only knew what his not yet born son Solomon would one day write. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. Don't be a fool and quickly lose your temper. Be sensible. Be patient. But David right now is traveling down the fool route himself. He's ticked. He's angry. He wants to take action. Look at verse 21. Listen to what David says as he hears the news. He says, man, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. NIV says, it's been useless. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for my good. So what am I going to do then? Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repay his evil with evil myself. An eye for, the eye, an, eye for an eye, right? I mean, I've been gracious, I've been helpful, I've been protective. And not only that, this guy all of a sudden decides he wants to take advantage of my generosity and my hospitality and my protection. This guy's a total ingrate. Who does he think he is? I've done everything I can to help him. And he's treating me like dirt. Verse 22 tells us David, this furious soldier, is determined that he's going to kill Nabal and, his, and all his men. Now, I suspect you can relate to the feelings David has. I know I can. Because I think we've all been in situations where our graciousness or our generosity or our patience or our kindness or whatever it was, we've bestowed it, we've given it to others, and it was not reciprocated back to us. You ever have that happen? You do something good, you do a good deed, you bless someone, you hold your tongue, you're gracious, you're generous, 
and it isn't reciprocated. And what happens when that happens to us? It starts to boil up, doesn't it? The situation starts to replay and play over and over and over in your mind and you're just like, man, I did this and this and this and this is what they did. And maybe they even said something. You heard what they said and you're like, man, I did this, 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 and this is what they said and this is what... And we just do that and we start rehearsing that in our brain and we get laser focused on it and it's all we're thinking about and we're dwelling on it and we start to get stuck. And it's in those times, in those moments that we are allowing the root of anger or bitterness to grow inside of us as we gear up for battle in our minds. David certainly had a right to be angry. I mean, Nabal clearly took advantage of him. But the Bible says something about our anger, because we're all going to be angry. The Bible said, don't, do, don't go too far with it. Don't do something you'll have to apologize later for. Don't do something that you will regret, that you can't undo. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 simply says it this way, in your anger which implies you will be angry. Raise your hand if you were angry in the last month. Raise your hand. Okay, holy cow, whoa. Wow, this is an angry crowd. <laughs> We've all been angry, right? You're, gonna, you're going to be angry. The Bible says, but in your anger, don't go too far. In your anger, do not, what's the word? Do not sin. Do not sin. You can be angry, but be angry in the right way. Do not sin. Revenge might feel good at the time, but you're going to feel bad about it later. You'll feel bad about it later. And David's angry. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the consequences. He doesn't care that he's traveling down the path of sin. He's out to get even, to seek revenge. So with 400 men, 400 swords and a whole lot of anger. This furious soldier takes his fellow soldiers and to head out to this foolish farmer, Nabal, and to go kill him. The stage is set for, for a bloody massacre. Into our story steps a faithful wife, Abigail. Now, Abigail is one of the most amazing people in all of Scripture. As a faithful wife to an awful husband, Nabal, she steps in to help. She wants to help her family from being slaughtered, but she also wants to help this future king of Israel, David, from making a mistake that he's going to end up regretting the rest of his life. Now look at verse 3. It tells us a little bit about her. It tells us, and, and, and through this passage, we discover her personality and her characteristics. This verse tells us that she's intelligent. One translation says sensible. One translation says she's discerning. In other words, she is wise. She's full of wisdom. And her wisdom just pours out in this story in ways that God can use her. And he can use her to provide this furious soldier a way out from the path he's traveling down a way out of the revenge that he's seeking. Verse 18 says, part of her wisdom, first thing, she acts quickly, the verse tells us. She prepares a giant feast for David and his men. And then in her wisdom, verse 19 and 20 tells us that, that she recognizes, man, I need to honor this guy and show him respect. I'm not going to wait till he gets all the way here and plans to do something. I'm going to go out to meet him. So she heads out to meet David and his men. Verse 23 when David, or excuse me, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. This is a sign of respect. 
She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. And as you read through what she says over the next few verses, you see her wisdom come out in so many different ways. Her ability to communicate. Part of that wisdom, she she refers to David as Lord eight different times. She uses the words please a few times. She bows down before him as a sign of utmost respect. She even says, hey, listen, if I had known your men were coming, I I didn't know, but if I had known, I absolutely would have taken care of them and provided for them. In other words, she was everything her husband wasn't. Now, I don't want you to miss the importance of this. Don't miss the reality that you can be around foolish people, evil people, wicked people. You might even be married to one. Don't comment or look at anybody right now. You can be around these type of people, but it doesn't mean you have to be one yourself. Though she lived with a negative person, a critical person, this negative spirit, she chose to be positive. She chose to be gracious. On this side of Jesus Christ, we would even say she chose to be Christ-like. She's around and surrounded by fools and wickedness. And she chose to be Christ-like. That might be a message from the Lord for some of you right now. That's the reason you're here today. That God needed to remind you today that you might be surrounded by evil. Whether at home, whether in the workplace, whether in the activities you're doing, whatever it is. And God is letting you know and He's reminding you, you can be different. You can be kind and positive and gracious and Christ-like. Not only was she wise and gracious, but she was incredibly brave. I mean, think about this. She had no way of knowing if when she showed up to, to David, she had no idea. She bows down with her face to the ground. She doesn't know if one of those 400 swords that are with David and his men, if they're going to come off the sheath there and if she's going to get her head chopped off. David, you remember the story of David and Goliath? What did David do after he killed Goliath? What did he do? Anybody know with his head? He chopped it off, the Bible tells us. So she doesn't know if that's her fate right now. She's incredibly courageous and she goes to meet David anyway. To bring him food, make a case for her family. She takes the initiative in the hopes that it would stave off David's anger to save her husband's, frankly, unworthy life. You can also pick up from this passage as you read through it. She was an incredibly godly woman as well. Again, as opposed to her foolish husband. In verse 28, through 30, it, it tells us that this godliness that she has, you can see it. You can see she knew that God was with David. You can see that she understood that, that she knew that God was with David and God would stay faithful to David and that he would one day even be king. And in her wisdom, she didn't want David to destroy his life or his conscience or his future. In fact, look at verse 31, how she says it. She says to David, David, and don't let this blemish be on your record. In other words, she's saying, don't go through with it. Man, this is going to set you back. And by not doing this terrible act, David, look at what it says, then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. I mean, what an incredibly courageous and brave and wise and faith-filled godly woman. Well, it's go time, right? It's crunch time. It's test time for David. 
David seems to have a lot of tests that happen in his life. You and I have a lot of tests that happen in our life. If you were with us two weeks ago, and if you weren't, I encourage you to go online or watch or listen. But, but if you remember, those who were here, you remember the story. David was in a situation where he was angry once again. In this situation two weeks ago, he was angry, isolated, and afraid. And do you remember the story? He decided to take matters into his own hand rather than trusting in God and hoping in God all day long. He chose not to do that. And and you might recall from that story that God said, I need to step in and help David. And I need to give him a reminder. And so in that story, God allowed the sword of Goliath to basically cross his path and be in front of him. And that was meant to be a visual reminder to David. The sword should have reminded David to change the current course and path that he was on and to do the right thing. What about this time? David has another visual reminder in front of him. And it's not the giant Goliath sword, but it's another giant evildoer, Nabal. And he has this person in front of him, Abigail. It's his visual aid, so to speak. And she shows up and she provides food. She speaks incredible truth and wisdom into David's life. And so with this visible aid in front of him, which... You and I would understand and know, man, this is the hand of God. This is the intervention of God. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you know God showed up? I mean, the hand of God showed up. He intervened in my life. And that's what's happening right now. What will he do? And my question to you is, when God shows up and the hand of God shows up and he intervenes in your life and he tries to speak to you, what do you do? When God's trying to speak to you, how do you respond? How do you act? How do you react? When he's trying to remind you of who you are and remind you of your faith in Christ, and he's trying to show you something in the midst of a decision or choice you're about to make that will take you down the wrong path, what do you do in that moment when God shows up to remind you? Well, let's look at David's response. Verse 33 1 Samuel 25, 33, David says to her, May you be blessed for your good judgment and from keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words. I've granted your request. Man, wise and godly Abigail not only saved her husband's life and all of his men, she stopped David from making a life-altering, life-destroying mistake. God used her to accomplish his purposes in David's life. Well, she's relieved, of course. She's on cloud nine. She heads home, and her husband, Nabal's drunk. The Bible tells us in verse 36, he's holding a banquet, a party like he's a king. And even though Abigail's on cloud nine, the reality of who her husband is didn't change just because she did a good thing. And I get it. That's the case for many of you. You do something good or right or wise or godly, but then you have to return to your reality and your reality at home or school or work. That reality isn't always kind because life isn't always fair. 
So she decides the best thing to do is, you know, in his drunken stupor, it's not going to do any good here. I'll wait till the next morning to tell him what happened. So the next morning, look at what happens. Look at verse 37. Nabal's wife told him all these things. How, you know, God used me to save you from being killed. And his heart failed him and he became like a stone. In other words, it's basically saying he had a heart attack or a stroke of some sort. Well, as a result of that, and it was so, it was so bad, verse 38, about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead and said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my case or my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. Notice what David recognizes. He, God, has kept his servant, meaning David, from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing on his own head. David recognized, I don't need to get involved. I'll just let God handle things. I don't mean to be judge, jury, and executioner. I'll let God be God. I just need to not do what's wrong. It's very important you and I understand this morning. David was about to do wrong. He was going to repay evil with evil. But God used Abigail to intervene and to save David from himself. We all need someone in our life like that, don't we? Someone that will speak truth to us. Now, maybe not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Well, David recognized Abigail's wisdom and godliness, and he knew he wanted her a part of his life. Verse 39 said he, he sent word to Abigail asking her, not telling her, but asking her to become his wife. They end up getting married. It's a kind of this happily ever after type story. And before we wrap up this morning, I want to give you just kind of a couple final summary thoughts. And the first one that jumps out at me loud and clear, and I hope it does for you this morning, is that if we live a life without Jesus Christ, it makes us a fool. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin, what we earn, what we do deserve for doing wrong, is the Bible says the wages of that is, is death, eternal death. But the verse goes on and says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, when you and I live for ourselves, it may appear to be a good thing for a season or a while or maybe even a lifetime. But remember, sooner or later, God will judge. And when he looks at someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, he says, you're clean, you're forgiven, step into eternal life. Abigail also reminds us that you and I can live a life guided by the Spirit of God, that we can demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit even when we're surrounded by fools. And, and you know, the reality is you and I live in a culture today. We live in a post-Christian culture. Have you figured that out? Just go spend a day with the kids at school. I mean, seriously. We live in a post-Christian culture. And so we're all surrounded by evil and wrongdoing and bad choices and bad decisions. But you and I have a choice. Like Abigail, we can live in a Christ-like manner. We can make good and wise and God-honoring decisions with our, in our life. And we don't have to be one who makes excuses. Well, this is just what I'm in. No, no, no. We can stand up and we can be bold and we can be courageous for Jesus. And he invites all of us to be that, to be different than our culture. Not just, you know, one degree, one, you know, one hour different than the rest of the culture. We can be radically different. And when we are, that's when the world notices. And that's when they begin to ask questions. 
And that's when God's working on some people, when people's hearts are open and they begin to ask you, tell me about your life. Here's another question to consider. Does God want to use you right now to be an Abigail in somebody's life? Is God calling you? There's a circumstance, a situation, something going on with somebody in your life, and you're like, God, you know God's speaking to you, and it's time for you to be an Abigail to somebody to help them in the, in the midst of them making bad decisions. But secondly, has God been using an Abigail to speak into your life? Are you heading down a path right now that God has sent somebody into your life to speak truth and he's providing you a way out? He's providing you a way of escape. Proverbs 15.31 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Is God providing you a way out right now? An Abigail? so that you don't travel down that path of sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells you and I, God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And then when that temptation does come, which it will, God says, I want to provide you a way out. I will provide you a way of escape. Now, we don't have time because we have to wrap it up. How do you know that's from God? How do you know when someone's speaking into your life and, it's, and, it's, and you know, it might be wisdom from God? There's a lot of different ways. Let me give you this. It's very unscientific and it's not, you know, it's quick and so it's not a whole lot of backup on it. But let me just tell you very quickly. You, oftentimes you can know it's from God, okay? You want to know how? You don't like what you're hearing. Because if someone's willing to speak into your life something you don't want to hear, there's a good chance that God's using them to speak a truth you're not interested or want to hear at the moment. Whatever you're going through, turn to Him. Trust in Him. Trust in Him to be faithful to take care of you. Let Him be the judge. Let Him worry about what's going on in your life. But ultimately, God provides a way out to every single one of us through His Son, Jesus Christ that we were lost and we can be found because of what Jesus did on a cross for us. Will you turn to God? Don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Follow his way for your life. Trust his way in your life.